high and deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin! And this game is underway with a bang! This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. A very, very disappointing start to this Brewers-Cubs weekend series. Brewers losing 6-2. to That broadcast just finishing on WKTY. Thanks for staying with us. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Let's talk about it. Now, it's always tough for me when my show bumps right up against the end of uh, of the Brewers broadcast. This isn't a Brewers postgame show, right? We don't need to break down every moment and every pitch and every move over the course of today's Brewer game. That's not why I'm here, but... Today's game, I think, followed a very similar pattern with what we saw out in Oakland the rest of the week as well. I'd love to take a look at this week and obviously two more games against the Cubs looming tomorrow and on Sunday as well. We'll peek ahead at that. Packers family night is tonight and and the NFL season really got underway last night. uh, The Hall of Fame game, that first preseason game. I I don't know why you would have why you would have watched it. I did just because football's back uh, and I'm here for it. Uh, but the game was was terrible. We'll talk about football and, and a couple other the, the NFL storylines. Packers really get underway with family night tonight, which is always such a great time. We'll talk about it all uh, over the course of the next hour. The Wisco Sports Show, you can join 608-796-2558. You can join me on the five-star telecom talk and text line. Uh, if you want to talk Brewers, you want to talk Packers, shoot me a text or give me a call. I'd love to have a conversation. Today's game was, was frustrating. Look, I can lose to the Cubs. I'm even okay losing to the Athletics or, or or the Reds. It is really frustrating when you sit down to watch an afternoon game and they're not even in it, right? Like in the 6th, 7th, 8th inning today, you're, you're only halfway paying attention because you know it's it's done. It's over with. Now, if the Brewers have a tough-fought game and, and they lose 3-2 to two or 4-3, to three, okay, What's what the absolute worst is is when it's not even close because why why are we watching right well why are we listening why are we tuned in that's how I kind of felt today Zach Davies with a with another I, I guess I don't want to say bad start because we've seen worse but uh, another Zach Davies type start he only pitched four innings gave up four runs had a couple of walks a- another poor starting pitching performance right the, if you could sum up this week in the last couple of games for the Brewers. The offense has been bad, and I know they won two or three from the Cubs last weekend, but in those wins, they scored three runs, five runs. They scored four in the game they lost. Against the Athletics, they scored two, they scored four, scored three. It's not like they're hanging huge numbers offensively, but last weekend against the Cubs, their pitching was good enough to get them a couple of wins. Today, that wasn't the case, right? Only scoring two runs. The offense hasn't been great, and the pitching has been okay. I was watching the Brewers Live uh, pregame show today, and, you know, of course, Sophia Menert's speaking with Craig Council, and and Craig is going on and, and speaking about his starters from this week so far and how they've been good, and I'm like, man, our expectations are so low, right? Our idea of a good start is, is just so below average that we're talking about Chase Anderson and Hauser going four and five innings, only surrendering one or two runs. And we're, we're talking like that's all-star caliber. We're, we're talking like that is, that's World Series bound pitching. No, that's that's average. If not below average. Like Craig Council was pr- singing his starters praises for going five innings and giving up one or two runs. Like, like that should be, that should be the low of what you expect from your pitchers. But, but we have, 
really gotten our expectations and our idea of a quality start so mixed up. I, I honestly don't know the last time a Brewers starting pitcher had a quality start, right? Six innings pitched, three earned runs or less allowed. When was the last time that happened? Before Brandon Woodruff got hurt, probably. Right? The pitching this week has been so-so to poor. Today it was poor again. Their bullpen. Jeremy Jeffress, I, I don't know if we've talked about this enough. He's given up runs in four consecutive appearances. In June, his ERA was 5.93. So far in July, it's 6.35. Jeremy Jeffress has not been good. So when we have conversations about Brewers pitching, especially relief pitching, I don't think you can say that, well, the Brewers, you can count on Josh Hader, you can count on Jeremy Jeffress. No, no. I think Josh Hader is in a class of his own right now. I don't know if there's another pitcher who's a, a, a given, who's a known commodity, who's a sure thing. I think it's Josh Hader, and that's it. Now, you could say the same thing about Brandon Woodruff, but of course, he is now hurt. Uh, this week, their starting pitching was not great, although it got them a couple of wins. Their bullpen pitching, their relief pitching wasn't great. That continued today, and their offense was quiet. Now, to connect this with, with the trade deadline on Wednesday, I, I don't know how any of the moves David Stearns made on Wednesday immediately translates to wins. I don't know how those moves immediately help this ball club because what the Brewers need is another elite reliever, another elite starter. And what David Stearns essentially got on Wednesday are just a, a bunch more guys who are going to step in where there have been injuries or step in where there have been really, really disappointing performances like Corbin Burns and Yoli Shasin, who also both happen to be injured right now. David Stearns went and got a couple of players who are already similar to the players that are in the starting rotation for the Brewers and are already in the bullpen. I don't know if there were upgrades. There are more bodies, there are more arms. But I don't know how the moves David Stearns made on Wednesday are going to translate to wins. I'm watching this Brewers team today. I'm watching Cubs Brewers. They lost 6-2 to two if you're just joining us. I'm, I'm watching this game and I'm thinking, man, I know David Stearns made a couple of moves on Wednesday, but how are those moves going to help this team, right? The Brewers have a bunch of middle-of-the-road relievers. They have Junior Guerin. They have Jay Jackson, as we saw today, right? I don't know if going and trading for another middle-of-the-road reliever is, is exactly what you were looking for. I don't know if going and trading for another middle-of-the-road starter is going to improve this starting rotation. The Brewers already have a bunch. Middle-of-the-road? That's the Brewers' ace right now, right? Chase Anderson is middle-of-the-road, and he's the Brewers' ace right now. I don't see how the moves David Stearns made on Wednesday immediately help this team. I don't see how it translates to more wins. I didn't look at the Brewers game today and say, okay, in the seventh inning uh, with Jay Jackson or whoever pitches seventh, I don't even remember, it doesn't matter. That That's where this new guy that David Stearns traded for, that's where he can step in and make an impact uh, in the next week or so. I didn't feel that way. I just said, well, it's a good thing David Stearns traded for a bunch of guys who are already like the guys pitching in this Brewers bullpen and in the starting rotation. A little bit disappointing, and I don't see a clear path to drastic improvement uh, for this Brewers team. Maybe, I mean, maybe you disagree. Maybe you think one of these guys is going to be the answer. If so, go ahead and call me on it. 608-796-2558. Looking at the standings, I know the Brewers are right there. I know they're just one hot streak away, but I don't know if I see a hot streak in this Brewers team right now. The loss today really hurt because the Cardinals lead the division. The Cubs are half game back. They game to game today, obviously, and the Brewers fell a game back. So they now trail the Cubs uh, or, or trail the Cardinals, excuse me, by two and a half games. Two full games behind Chicago. Now, they can make that up if they win the next two. They can make it up and win this division if they just get hot. 
I don't see either one of those things happening, mostly because I, I think this Brewers team is, is showing us more and more of who they are, right? Reputations are earned. We didn't give this Brewers team a reputation. We didn't give them the reputation for poor starting pitching and, and quiet offense at times, which is exactly what you saw this week. We didn't give them that reputation. That's been earned since April. And I don't necessarily think that the moves that David Stearns made the other day are going to drastically change the trajectory of this Brewers team. They're three games over 500, third in the division. That sounds about right. That makes sense. I want to talk about the Brewers' offense when we come back because I was doing a little bit of thinking today. I, I, <laughs> you, could smell, you could smell smoke in my house. That's how hard I was thinking uh, during this Brewers game, specifically about the offense. Because the Brewers' offense is definitely supposed to be the, the, the strong part of this team. Definitely the part where they have invested more free agency money and, and made trades. Why isn't this Brewers offense better? I think I might have a theory. I think I might have an idea. I, I want to share that with you coming up. We're also going to talk preseason football. We're going to talk family night, which is tonight. And this weird, wild new challenge of a pass interference that happened last night. We're going to cover a lot today uh, before saying goodbye for the weekend. I'm really excited. So hang around. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show right here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant. Thanks for hanging out. Hopefully uh, hopefully you're having a good Friday afternoon, regardless uh, of that disappointing Brewers game to open up uh, the three-game weekend set in Chicago. By the way, if you are a Cubs fan who has uh, found the Wisco Sports Show, I-, I would love your input as well. I would love your thoughts if you'd be so kind, just like our Brewers listeners as well, 608-796-2558. Uh, on the five-star telecom talking text line. I always think it's good to get outside perspective. Sometimes we get stuck in our Wisconsin bubble, and sometimes it takes a, a fan of the Vikings or of the Bears or of the Cubs to say, well, you know what? This player isn't as bad as you're making him out to be. Or actually, I, I really like what Council did, even though you might disagree. Sometimes it's good to get an outside perspective. So Cubs fans, if you're listening, first of all, thank you. Uh, for putting up with my my Wisconsin bias and the bias of the show. But I would love to hear from you as well. Uh, Twitter open at KeystrokerGrant and at WKTY as always, even when I'm not on the air. Love to interact on Twitter. Um, I, I want to talk about the Brewers offense because we've been hating on the starting pitching and, and the bullpen hasn't been great either. But this week, it's not like the Brewers have been raking the ball. Two runs today, three runs, two runs, two runs against the Athletics. Four against the Cubs, three against the Cubs, two against the Cubs. They haven't scored five runs outside of that one game against the Athletics. They just haven't been putting up a lot of runs. And and the offense is what they prioritized in the offseason, right? They brought back Mike Moustakis. They brought in Yasmani Grandal, right? They they put money into the offense. And then, of course, Lorenzo Cain last year, Christian Yelich. I mean, the list goes on and on. They haven't invested in free agent pitchers or traded uh, for expensive pitchers outside of the organization, that their their checks have been signed and and directed towards the offense. And the offense hasn't been that good. It's it's prone uh to to going quiet for stretches. And the Brewers are in one of those stretches right now. Today I was I was thinking about it. We got to talk about the Brewers offense tonight. And I re- I was reminded of I remembered uh back to high school. So I, I'm not a I'm not a business major. I'm not an accounting major. I, I'm a communication studies major at at UW Lacrosse. So I don't take a lot of econ classes. I don't take accounting classes or, or finance classes. I don't. Luckily, I don't have to uh, endure that because my brain's just not wired that way. But I do remember back to high school in my senior year economics class, 
I, I, I had a teacher I really enjoyed, and I remember a couple of things from that class. And one uh, theory or idea is the law of diminishing returns. And if you don't know what that is, it's pretty self-explanatory, and I don't pretend to be an expert on any of this stuff. It just was, was brought to my mind today. It, it's The law of diminishing returns describes a point basically at which uh, the level of profits or benefits or whatever you're striving for it is less than the amount of money or energy you're investing, right? So your output no longer keeps up with your input, right? You plateau, essentially. And I think that's maybe what we're seeing with the Brewers and maybe what we've seen in the past, right? David Stearns has said, okay, we don't have any options for pitching that I love. Everybody's too expensive or not good enough. So we're not going to waste our time and energy on pitching. We're going to put it into the offense, okay? We're going to try to outslug people. And I think that strategy, I think it might have plateaued. If you think back to April, or even before April, before the season started, we're talking like, man, that opening day batting, the, the lineup, the batting order, that might be the best ever. And we looked at some teams from 2011, 2008, back from the 80s, right? And I'm like, man, there's players up and down this lineup, top to bottom, when you add Moustakis, and when Grandal was added in. This is a good lineup, top to bottom. A lot of big hitters, big boppers. Going to be a lot of home runs, right? A lot of power hitting. Now, it didn't necessarily pan out that way for a lot of different reasons. Injuries and, and uh, players who regressed. But I'll take you back to the beginning of the season. This offense was supposed to be great because the Brewers offense was great last year. And then they go and invest to bring Moustakis back and also bring in a new player, Yasmani Grandal. I don't feel like the Brewers offense is, is any better this year. I feel like they're very similar to last year. There are stretches where they can put up runs. But there's also stretches where this Brewers offense goes really quiet, and I think we're in the middle of one right now, this last week or so. Now, luckily enough, last weekend, the pitching was good enough to get it done. That wasn't the case in Oakland, and it certainly wasn't the case today in a quiet stretch, right? And I think the Brewers reached a point where they kept spending money on the offense. They, they brought back Grandal, or they brought back Moose, and they brought in Grandal. Their, their input is going up, but their output is no longer matching it, right? I think at some point, you can only spend so much money on a certain position group or so much capital, right, through trades or, or draft picks. You can only spend so much capital on one area of a team before your returns start to plateau, right? If money was the world, the Yankees would win every year. The Dodgers would win every year. because, And trust me, that happens sometimes, but not every time, right? Sometimes you can only put so much money into a position group or an area of a team before you start to plateau, right? I don't feel like the Brewers' offense is that much better than it was last year. I mean, go back to last year. I didn't think the Brewers' offense got that much better after the trade deadline anyways. Yeah, they brought in Granderson and, and Moustakis and Scope, and they had moments here and there, and they allowed Craig Council a little bit of flexibility in, in how to set his lineups and, and through pinch hitting late in games. Like he was, They got better situationally, but day in and day out, their run total didn't jump up this year. I don't feel like the Brewers' offense is that much better, despite all the money that's been spent on that offense, right? It's the law of diminishing returns, and I have the definition, the Google definition, right here in front of me. The law of diminishing returns used to refer to a point at which the level of profits or benefits gained is less than the amount of money or energy invested, right? If, if you think about it on a graph, you have money spent and you have runs scored, and and, and for a good portion of the graph, that it's linear, right? It's going up. The more money you spend is going to lead to greater run production. But at some point, it no longer is beneficial to just keep shelling out money, shelling out money, shelling out money. Well, it doesn't matter how bad our pitching is because we'll just keep 
investing in our offense and that's going to carry us. No, because I think your offense can only be so good. This Brewers offense can only be so good. And at some point, it's not going to help to continue to dump free agency money or, or, or trade capital into that offense because I think you plateau. And I think that's what we've seen with the Brewers. I think that's what we've seen with the Cubs bullpen as well. And once again, this is this is me as an outsider. This is just what I read, what I hear. But but a constant complaint from Cubs fans is that, man, how many how big is the payroll for this bullpen and you still can't lock down a game? How much money do you need to spend on relievers before before we can actually have a good bullpen? I see the same thing, right? Now I'm looking at, at the Cubs payroll right here. Now most of their money and their highest paid players are, are their starters. But I start looking at their bullpen too. Craig, Craig Kimbrell is going to make $10 million this year. $16 million in 2020 and in 2021. Tyler Chatwood's making $12.5 million this year. Brandon Morrow is making $9 million. Pedro Strope's making $6.5 million, right? C-Shack's making $6 million. Another, another reliever, right? Brandon Kinsler is making $5 million. It's an expensive bullpen. They sunk a lot of money into that bullpen. And they haven't really gotten any better. They're still not great. The Cubs fans talk about it all the time. Man, how much money you got to spend on a bullpen before it can actually be good? Well, I think you're seeing a, a similar situation in the Brewers' uh, offense and the Cubs' bullpen. They've plateaued. You, you're now seeing the law of diminishing returns applied. Spend a little bit of money and you're going to see that jump. You're going to see that improvement. But at some point... You can only spend so much money. You can only score so many runs. And I feel like the Brewers offense has met that point. And, and, and I think the, the Cubs bullpen is in a similar situation. And if if you're a Cubs fan and, and you're thinking, I've got this all wrong, or or you're in a, an econ major from college, or, or you have your master's in business and you think this is way off, go ahead. Let me know. 608-796-2558. But I don't think you need to have a deep understanding of economics or, or a deep understanding of the Brewers and the Cubs payrolls to just basically see... Man, they're spending a lot of money on the offense, spending a lot of money on the bullpen, and it hasn't really helped. They plateaued, right? The money spent keeps going up, but the run scored has plateaued. It's become flat. And I hate to be cliche. I hate to 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 lean back and, and use old cliches and sayings as a crutch, but hasn't everybody said that good pitching will beat good offense every night of the week and especially in the postseason? Now, last year and this spring, I thought that the Brewers could maybe buck that trend because they had prioritized their offense, right? They had a great offense last year, and then they go and upgrade the catcher position in Yasmani Grandal, and they sustained Mike Moustakis. Let's not act like the Brewers improved by bringing back Mike Moustakis. They just avoided regression because they, they retained him, right? But they did bring in a new player in Yasmani Grandal. That's improvement, but the Brewers' offense is still prone to going through these slumps. And I'm sure Cubs fans feel the same way. Their bullpen hasn't been great. They go out and spend on, on, uh, on uh, uh, why am I blanking on his name? From the Red Sox. Craig Kimbrell, thank you. Craig Kimbrell. They go out and spend money on Craig Kimbrell, and, and they're still blowing games against the Brewers last weekend. At some point, you plateau. At some point, more money, more trades, it just doesn't help. You can only spend so much. You can only improve so much in one area. And I think the Brewers' offense is plateaued. And I think the, the Cubs' bullpen is plateaued as well. Now, I would rather spend money on pitching. Because I think if two teams meet, meet up, if the Brewers meet up with the Astros, for example, in the World Series. Now, the Brewers invested a lot in their offense. The Astros invested a lot in their pitching. And I think that good pitching 
will beat good offense every day of the week. I think it, it, it it's a trump card, right? It's like a hand in poker, right? What, what would a what would a good poker hand be, right? The 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 Astros have a flush, a great hand. The Brewers have three of a kind, which is still a, a great hand, but it's going to be beaten by what the Astros have. Just be, that's how pitching works. That's how baseball works. And, and I think the Brewers have plateaued offensively, and I don't think they can get any better. So you got to improve your pitching. And they really didn't at the trade deadline. They just got warm bodies. They got capable arms. They didn't get high-level pitchers. So I'm worried about it. I'm worried about the Brewers' offense. I'm worried about their bullpen. I'm worried about everything. And they're right there in the division. I just don't see a run in them. I think they've plateaued. Let's talk about something a little bit more exciting. Packers family night is tonight. I want to transition to football, transition to the preseason. We'll also talk about this new uh, pass interference challenge, which we saw last night, and I'm not going to blow up over because I don't think it's a huge deal. We're going to complain about it. Like, well, like we're going to make fun of it because that's what we do on sports radio, but I don't think that's it's the biggest deal in the world, and, and we have previous precedent, and we have history to look back on, and, and that kind of echoes. It's really not that big of a deal. We'll talk about football. Coming up next, you're listening to the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Are you ready for some football? The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY 96.7 FM and 580 AM. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. You can always stream us on the go. Download the mobile app on your phone if you haven't already. And, of course, you can always stream at WKTYsports.com as well. Football's back! A really a really bad brand of ugly preseason football, but it still counts. That was last night, the Hall of Fame game, which, of course, the Packers were supposed to play in uh, two summers ago. I believe they were supposed to play the Colts, if I remember correctly. And then somebody somebody painted the field wrong, so they, they couldn't play, which probably... Uh, was of the benefit to football fans everywhere not having to watch that. But I will sit and I will watch it because it's Al Michaels, it's Chris Collinsworth, it's Michelle Tafoya, it's Sunday Night Football. Like, it, it just has a certain feeling, right? I know it's a horrible brand of football and the players are, are nobody we've heard of. Uh, but, like, I'm I'm all about watching preseason football just to get the feel, to get back into the swing of things. I, I told you last week that I had been okay for most of the summer. I'd been occupied with the Brewers and NBA free agency. I really wasn't thinking about football a whole lot. And then last week, it kind of hit me. I need football back because my Sundays feel empty. I want to be playing fantasy football again. I want to hear that Sunday night football music. Sunday night is my favorite time. That's my favorite game every week to watch. And like, just listen to this song, right? Like this is the NBC Sunday night football theme. Like you can't beat this. Does that not just, like, immediately, don't you just react to that? Like, oh, football? Football? Like, you hear uh, the the Fox Sunday music uh, during baseball games, and you're like, this isn't baseball music. This is football music. Like, you think football immediately? Oh, I hear that, and I'm ready to go. Oh, heartbeat heartbeat raises, right? I'm just in a mood. I I, I need football back. And last night, it was a poor brand of football, but I watched nonetheless. The Broncos won 14-10. And I'm just looking at the box score here. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna read statistics for you because let's be real. You don't care. I don't either. I'm just looking at the names of these quarterbacks. I don't even know these names outside of Matt Schaub. B. Ripian started for Denver. Ripian, Ripian, Benkert started for Atlanta. I guess I do know Drew Locke because he was just drafted. Drew Locke, listen to this stat line. I says I, I wasn't gonna bombard you with stats, but this is just interesting. He went 7 of 11. He had 11 completions. 
or, or seven completions, 11 attempts. He threw for 34 passes. That's like what? A little over four yards per per completion? That's nothing. Seven of 11 for 34 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions. Like How, how manila of a performance is that? Drew Locke rushing. I've never heard any of these running backs. Never heard any of these receivers. Atlanta, Atlanta, look at this. Last night, this is the kind of game this was. How many receivers got targets, you ask? Blake, Bain, Zacchaeus, Graham, Gage, Wharton, Lewis, Smith, Gray, Allison, Hardy, Saubert, Green, Brooks, Gray, Hill, Barner, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. That's 17 receivers. 17 receivers got targeted for the Falcons last night. That's whack. The, 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 the Hall of Fame is just a the Hall of Fame game is just a different brand of football uh, in and of itself. But I'm watching because it's football. It's Al Michaels. It's Michelle Tafoya and Chris Collinsworth. It's the music. It's back. Uh, and, and I'll just take any kind of football we can get. The Packers really get their preseason underway tonight because they have family night, right? And and I was on Twitter earlier today. You can follow me at Keystroker Grant. I was on Twitter earlier today just looking at pictures and videos of the traffic around Lambeau Field. This was at like noon. Now, I don't know what time the parking lot's open today. I think it would have been early this afternoon based on what I was seeing because the line of cars was wrapped around Lambeau Field waiting to get into the parking lot because people want a tailgate, right? The game doesn't start, what, until 7, I believe? And people are showing up to tailgate to wait in line at 11 a.m. at noon? That's something else. And, like, we can we can hate on, on the Packers and maybe how they've uh, they neglected the team under Ted Thompson at the end, right? Didn't spend a lot of money or... Or maybe missed on a couple of draft picks. You you can't question. You can't hate on on the excitement that surrounds Lambeau Field and, and football in, in Green Bay every fall. That is insane. I'm sure some of you may have seen pictures or videos today. It's a practice. It's it's a practice. I don't even know if they're going to scrimmage. They could very well just run drills. And Lambeau Field is going to be full. Absolutely, parking lots are going to be full. Tailgating 100. percent have you ever have you ever been to family night? I've I've been twice. Uh when I was when I was little, I believe we used to have family friends in Green Bay, if I'm remembering this correctly. If my parents are listening, they're probably gonna think, oh yeah, that was money well spent. You can't even remember. One year it was canceled because of thunder and lightning. And then the the next year it was delayed for thunder and lightning for like over an hour. Like we never had just a clean experience at family night there was always some sort of weather and my parents once again are probably thinking the damn kid doesn't even remember it last time I spend money to, to take a kid to a sporting event but it's a practice it's not even a bona fide preseason game how, how do you watch how do you consume preseason football how, how do you do you sit down and intently watch for the entire game I know for me because of this job like I'll take notes like, I'll write things down here and there, things we got to talk about on the show and players to watch. Th- that's a little bit over the top, but that's because I have to come in here and, and do the show, right? We need to talk about what's going on with the Packers. And if I don't write things down, if I don't watch intently, I'll forget, right? And everybody hates the radio host who comes on and, and talks and is just very obviously reading the box score, right? Didn't watch the game, but isn't going to admit it. If I don't watch a game, I'll admit it. Right, I'm not going to try to lie to you. I'm not going to read a recap article and, and try to pass it off as my own thoughts. I, I have to watch preseason football be, because uh, all of you, our, our listeners do. Our listeners listen and watch. And if I don't, then I'm going to sound like an idiot. I sit down and intently watch and take notes. As, do, do you watch all four quarters of Packers preseason football? 
Now, I would imagine most Packers fans at least watch the first couple of minutes. But who who's making it to the fourth quarter? That's the true test. Let's talk about it. 608-796-2558, uh, the five-star telecom talking text line. What's your preseason uh, football experience like? Because we don't really have fantasy football to keep us glued to preseason. For a good portion of the game, we don't even have starters. For most of the second half, we don't even have names that we know for the most part. So do you stay glued to the TV? Do you stay focused for all four quarters? Now, family night tonight is just a practice, so I don't know how much we can glean uh, from from just a, a bona fide practice. And, and worst of all, the Packers don't even stream it. I don't know why. I don't know why the Packers social media doesn't stream family night. Like, they're not going to put it on TV. It's a practice. I, I, I wish you could consume family night if you weren't there. But it isn't, it isn't at least a game. It's not even a dress rehearsal. So there's not a whole lot we can glean from it. It would just be nice to be able to watch. Now, there are going to be a couple of reasons to watch Packers preseason football this year. And there are a couple things to watch every year, right? There's always one position group or one player that everybody's excited to see. There's a couple obvious reasons. I want to watch preseason football this year to see how the wide receiving core interacts with Rodgers, right? Who assumes that that second, third, fourth role behind Devontae Adams? Is Geronimo Allison going to be able to come back from this injury, which kind of lingered last year, lasted longer than, than most people expected or hoped? Is he going to be able to come back and, and be that same guy? Right, Obviously, there's a bunch of new free agents, new talent on defense that everybody's going to want to see, myself included. Now, personally, I'm really excited to see the running backs. Not who fills the first, second, third, fourth role, but how does LaFleur manage running backs, right? Because McCarthy did this thing that annoyed me. He would give one running back a series. Okay, this series, Aaron Jones, it's you. This series, Jamal Williams, it's you. And he was rigid. He would stick to that. I'm hoping Matt LaFleur... Is a little bit more flexible, a little bit more creative in when he runs certain backs out there, when he brings certain backs to the sideline, ways he lines them up. Because McCarthy just got into that routine. All right, now it's Jamal Williams. Now it's Aaron Jones. I want to see how Matt LaFleur maybe does things differently. 608-796-2558, the five-star telecom talking text line. How do you experience preseason football? Do you even watch a uh, caller? Did you watch the Hall of Fame game last night? How do you normally watch preseason football? Welcome to the Wisco Sports Show. Oh, thanks. Uh, a great, great show. Nice Thank job. You. Um, excuse me. Um, the, I didn't watch much of the Hall of Fame game last night just because of, uh, you know, out and about with the errands yeah. and stuff. Um, and tonight they are uh, televising the, the family uh, night. They do show it, and not to get uh, channel specific, but it is on a local channel. Yeah. So, uh, people can do their own, their own homework. Um, I guess for the first few games, uh, you know, I do get pretty intent watching the first halves, I guess. And then the second half, you kind of watch it just to see, you know, some of the second and third stringers and who else they have on the team. Um, but, you know, like we went to the family night last year and we took our uh, eight-year-old son just so he could experience Lambeau Field outside of a game atmosphere. Yeah. And it was sold out and it was electric. And it was it was cool, but with living in western Wisconsin, I don't know if it's something I didn't necessarily go back for. Sure. Uh you know, just because it wasn't, uh, I mean, it was fun to see the players, you know, and Aaron Rodgers hit the field. I mean, everybody goes nuts and whatnot. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where, I mean, it was a very cool atmosphere and it was fun. I mean, if you could go to it, yeah, do it. But, uh, you know, like I said, from us here, it was more of a practice. It was it was okay. The fireworks at the end were pretty amazing. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, preseason football, you know, you can take it for what it's worth. But I, I I think there's a nice spark in the Packers this year, and I think it'll be a fun season for them. 
I think the the atmosphere tonight and, and around Lambeau Field today will, will be really, really good. And and thank you. I appreciate the phone call and your uh, your compliments to the show. Appreciate you listening. I think that's the consensus with family night. And, and honestly, as I get older, with a lot of Packers games, people, and I grew up on the western side of the state as well. I grew up uh, just west of Eau Claire up in, uh, in northwest Wisconsin. So it's a three-hour hike. And it's three hours-ish for, to, to Lambeau from here as well. It, it just... Man, I love going to Lambeau, love going to a game, love the atmosphere, but do I want to sit in a car for six hours to do it? I don't know. When I was little, I would have said, screw it, let's go, mom and dad. Now I'm like, oh, man, got to take off of work or like, do I got to stay overnight? That's expensive, right? I got to get food. It's it's it becomes a little bit more of an ordeal. I And and thank you again. I, I wasn't for sure if they put family night on, on TV or not. It is on like local television. I wish the Packers would stream it for fans Outside of Wisconsin, I guess is what I was getting at. It would be nice if if fans, like for example, my grandma in Arizona or, or relatives down south, they're Packer fans everywhere. It would be nice if the Packers social media catered to those people just a little bit more. I think that would be, I think that would be nice. Although it is on local TV, like you said, and I'll have to watch a little bit of it tonight. Uh, I have a text uh, that says, "Absolutely, I watch seventy five percent of the games minimum. I'm a fiend, and I'm not afraid to admit it." Well, that's that's what I like to hear. Honesty is big. I am a fiend for football, and I watched the Hall of Fame game last night, which felt like a glorified like Mountain West college game. I'm going to be honest, but it's football, and I'm fiending, and I'm glad that it's back. Let's continue to talk about football, including something we saw last night, uh, the first challenge of a pass interference. I know it's it's dumb, and it's annoying, and we're going to complain about it because that's why we're here, uh, but I'm, I'm going to conclude, and I'm going to tell you I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. I hope I'm right. I hope it doesn't turn into a big stink during the regular season. We'll talk more about it as we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show and say goodbye for the weekend as well. Coming up next here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Can't wait for this weekend. Need a couple of days. Watch Brewers Cubs. It's going to be awesome. Before we say goodbye for the weekend, I want to talk about last night. We're talking preseason football. We're talking Packers family night. Last night, we saw something brand new. We saw Vic Fangio challenge a pass interference call, which is a new rule that's going to be added in. And I believe if I read correctly and if I'm remembering correctly, this is a rule that's only uh, in on the books for this year. So they're going to have to revisit this at some point and say, okay, this is working. This is good. And, and we're going to put this into rule for a long period of time, or we're just going to scrap it. It's tough to tell. We're in the early stages right now. So last night, this is the audio, and I wanted to play you the audio, um, not to fill time or, or not so you can hear Alan, Alan Chris, but mostly so you can hear the rules analyst, Terry McCauley, and the language he uses to describe the rule and the situation, and you'll hear it if you didn't last night and probably think, oh boy, this is they opened a can of worms here. So this is about a minute. This is the sequence on the NBC broadcast last night as Vic Fangio challenges uh, that pass interference call, which is the NFL's new rule this year. All right, so this is something that is new. The interference rules have not changed what is, what isn't. But the fact you can challenge it is brand new. So here's your first challenge of preseason. And right off the bat, the new rule comes into effect. So Terry McCauley, away you go. What do you see? Well, Al, let's start right with the process. What they're looking at in replay is their clear and obvious video evidence that the defender did not significantly hinder the receiver. Those are the key words, clear and obvious 
significantly hindered. That's the standard replay is going to use to decide whether to reverse this. Do you hear all of the the judgment and the the nondescript language? How that could be interpreted? It could be interpreted a bunch of different ways. Significantly hinder. Right. You did. Did the defender significantly hinder? And the first thing that Terry McCauley says, the first uh, thing that Terry McCauley starts to talk about. Did you hear it? The process. Talking about the process. One more time. Off the bat, the new rule comes into effect. So Terry McCauley, away you go. What do you see? Well, Al, let's start right with the process. The process. What they're looking at in replay is their clear and obvious video evidence. Okay. so first off, first off. In this soundbite, we've heard two or three things that are already everybody's least favorite part about video replay, right? Remember the process of the catch? Let's look at the process. Does he complete the process? Everybody hated that. That was a bad rule. They scrapped it. And now that's at the forefront. That was the first thing out of Terry McCauley's mouth. He says, oh, well, first let's let's look at the process. Well, wait a minute. Did we not learn our lesson last time around? And then he starts talking about indisputable video evidence. Oh, God, here we go again. And then the language gets nondescript. It's left up to judgment. Significantly hinder. That the defender did not significantly hinder the receiver. Those are the key words. Clear and obvious. Significantly hinder. That- the, those words, if that's the, 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 the letter of this law and that's the baseline for this rule, that's a horrible start. Because those are two or three things that everybody already hates about video replay and hates about football. Indisputable video evidence. People hate it. Because you hear it so often. The process, yeah, how'd that go with Calvin Johnson? How'd that go with Des Bryant completing the process of the catch? Probably should have avoided doing that whole thing again. And then significantly hinder. What does that mean? What is significant? What is a hindrance? And what is, uh, uh, what would the word be? Uh, um, contact, right? Where, where the ankles just get caught up. I'm not, my football brain isn't turned on uh, for the year yet, right? That's just, uh, that's just, contact that's nothing right I can't remember the word it'll hit me tonight at probably about 1130 so I'm, I, I don't feel great about this rule after last night mostly because of what Terry McCauley had to say but here's why I think it's okay and I said we're gonna make fun of it we're gonna rip it to shreds we've done that now let me say why I don't think this is gonna be a big deal just last year think back to last year 2018 and if you've listened to the show for any amount of time if I have a theory if I have an expectation or an idea, what's the first thing I always like to do? I like to look into the past and say, okay, well, where do we have an example of this before? Where do we have precedent of this before? So we can use that as a baseline, okay? Well, let's look back to last year. Don't even have to look very far to 2018 when they instituted a rule that made it a penalty for an offensive player or a defensive player to initiate contact with the head or the neck, right? You can't you can't spear yourself into a tackle. You can't lead with the head, right? That was the language. That was the rule. And during the preseason, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. People were overreacting on Twitter. They were freaking out saying how this NFL season is going to suck. See, this is why I don't watch football anymore. This is why the NBA is taking over, right? Do you remember? You might not remember because that ended pretty quickly when the regular season started. Why? Because the referees didn't, didn't throw as many flags. The preseason, just as much as it is for teams to, to evaluate talent, and to evaluate schemes and ideas and plays. It's just as much a preseason and a learning period for referees, for the league to say, okay, well, let's try something and see if it works. And the best way to try a new penalty is to call it a bunch. If it even looks like it's a penalty, call it. If it even looks like it's a part of this new rule, call it, challenge it. Because that way, referees in the front office of the league have as much 
evidence to sift through, right? Have as much uh, film to look at and say, okay, well, this was a good call. Here's why. Okay, this is a bad call. Here's why. So I think officials are going to be more prone and and in the preseason coaches are going to be more prone to challenging anything that's close because they want to get a feel for it. They want to know, okay, well, is this a worthwhile avenue to use in the final three minutes of a late December game at home in a division race? Is this a challenge flag that I want to throw, right? Coaches are experimenting this year, just like referees were experimenting last year. And I know during the the preseason, we're going to flip out over it. We're going to hate it, but let's be real. As soon as the regular season comes, I don't think we're going to talk about it anymore. Because I think the the flags and the challenges are going to regress, like we saw last year. And we're just going to focus on football. I hope that's the case. That certainly was the case last year, so I feel pretty good about it. Cubs Brewers, the rest of this weekend, we're going to be joined by Zach Heilprin from The Zone in Madison. And did you see Quintez Sivas got acquitted today? We can talk about that. Alabama-Wisconsin quarterback battle. We got a lot to get to early next week. Have an awesome weekend. Can't wait to talk to you on Monday.